Into sports. 20 yards out. Urshan shoot. Don't shoot. Oh, what a goal for Fabinho. Wow. Then get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do we get a slap? Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports, ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. I'm a very confident front runner. I've carried for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? You, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. It's the Irish Open. Of course you want to play at the weekend. Now then, you're very welcome along to Golf Weekly. There is lots going on, actually, even though the golf has quietened down a touch. European Tour is on this week, PGA Tour on this week. There is an alliance as well between both tours, which we'll be talking about. The match number three, or is it four? I'm not sure which. It didn't quite capture the imagination, you would have to say, this week. Colin Byrne, Rafa Cabrera-Beo have parted ways. And Paul Casey is now very much heading to Saudi Arabia. Plus, uh, Tom Weisskopf has had a proper go at Roy McIlroy. So uh, plenty to discuss today. Nathan Murphy, hello to you. Hey, Joe. Fionn Davenport, good afternoon. Hey, Joe. And Peter Laurie, open for business at Spowell. Hello to you. Hey, Joe. You were just saying they're a bit quiet so far. Amazingly so, yes. Uh, where, where are all the golfers? We've had a few, <laughs> all right, but uh, obviously they are uh, out there somewhere playing golf, possibly, rather <sighs> than a, uh, on the range. And do you think maybe like an affair where half the attraction is that it's wrong and they enjoyed sneaking into you when it was illegal? Now that it's legal, the buzz is gone. It's gone, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that double knock and the backdoor entrance, you know what I mean? What can you say? Yeah. Is this like being back on tour for you where, you know, you're closed for six weeks, you're back home for six weeks, you're around the house all day and then you reopen and they won't see you again until Christmas? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no way, yeah. It's funny, all, all, everything that we've done in, in the lockdown has, is, is starting to pay off. It, it, the job has come a little bit easier, collecting balls, bringing the balls in. and So, um, yeah, look, we're, uh, we're, as I said, open for business and they, uh, hopefully our regulars will start coming back to us. Absolutely, hopefully they do. Fiona, I mentioned the match. I'm going to forget to mention the match for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I might as well just get it out of the way now. This was yeah. uh, Charles Barkley, Phil Mickelson. As Phil said, shocking the world, which was pretty funny. So uh, yeah. this didn't really capture the imagination a la the others? No. Um, it was beaten out in the ratings by uh, Love After Lockup. So Love After Lockup came seventh and the match eighth for the the day of November 27th. Um, uh I mean, Mickelson and Charles Barkley, they beat Peyton Manning and Steph Curry four and three. There's not a lot of, what's the interest, you know? And um, it is worth pointing out that NBC had, at the same time, the National Dog Show, which got 12 times the viewers. Hey, hey, people like their dogs. And, you know, but uh, yeah, it was like, you know, I mean, the problem is, is now we're comparing match three against match two. 
Was Match was 2 absolute Peyton stunning. Manning? Yeah, it was a Peyton Nicholson Manning, Tiger, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, uh, Tom Brady one. That was the that, Ah, yes. That was good. But that was also of its moment where yes. sport wasn't fully back. And do you know and that... It was a novelty in competition, whereas now, who in the right mind would want to watch the four of them Precisely. play golf? That's exactly the point. Also, it's worth pointing out what a success the match two was, that it got a higher rating than the last round of the rescheduled US Open. So more people watched the match too. And so obviously on the back of that, the organizers thought, oh man, we have a runaway success here. Let's, let's, let's schedule match three. Tiger, no, he's, he's not answering the phone. No, no, he's not. It's fine. We'll get other people. It'll be all zippy and, and lots of people chatting and, and it didn't quite happen. What's love after lockup about? Um, I haven't seen it. It's on, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I should Google that. Love after love lockup. It, it sounds is, like ex-cons ex finding love again. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, but love after oh, lockup. I thought it was beat. love after, after lockdown, no, where you know, lock, people are no longer... No. Lock up. Okay. Lock up. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people in jail. A lot of people, people in... who's done time in prison. So I've got, I've got it here. It's, um, yeah, it's a reality TV show, surprise. And, uh, and the, splur the, the blurb goes, the phrase ball and chain takes on a whole new meaning in love after lockup. Couples meet their potential future spouses for the first time once the bars are removed Oof. from the relationship. The way is full of bumps and some strong emotions along its rocky road. But these inmates are tasting freedom for the first time in a long while. <laughs> Who? Come on. Who doesn't this is want to exactly see? the sort of thing that Joe would watch. I mean, <laughs> if that was on one channel and the match was on the other, I would be deliberating, yeah. I have to yeah, say. Have yeah, to say. How do they reinvigorate the match? Like what? Because I don't think they're ever going down the route which we would have liked, say, from the match one of Tiger v. Phil, where it's five million quid of their own money on the line. Brooks v. Bryson. Brooks v. Bryson. But yeah. again, what is actually on the line? Brooks v. anybody, really. <laughs> except, is there any way of making the match interesting? Tiger Woods. Tiger. Yeah, the, the end, I think. Tiger Woods with the mic after that. I think it's missable enough. What about it? a Plus, Survivor they're, they're... Series style golf where, so Tiger is captain one, Phil is captain two. We know there's 10 other players playing and they have to go and, right, my first selection is Rory McIlroy. And then poor old Bryson is left there. Patrick Reed is number 12 and nobody <laughs> wants them. They're, <laughs> they're losing novelty value as well now. The, the, the notion of mic'd up golfers is less amazing mm -hmm. than it was a while back. Though I, I kind of want them to, to just keep doing it. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's better than nothing. It's okay. Just yeah. Did you see Mickelson's I, I new tweet where he's doing this like a um, worm kind movement oh, yeah. on the ground? Yeah, it's very good. It's what? Unbelievable. Sorry, say that again. It's well, you very know, what? It's very good. So you, he's, he's, he starts off by, people haven't seen it, he starts off by, he has a club in his hand and he says, look, I want to start with the mistake I see from amateurs the world over, the, the number one mistake. And it's they, they don't keep their arms connected and then he throws the club away and starts doing his worm dance and says, <laughs> demonstrates how you've got to keep the yeah. arms connected. I think it's great. I mean, Phil can do no wrong. So, uh, well, okay, that's the match then. There's not too much to take from that. Uh, the dog show got 12 million. Yeah. People do love that. Best in show was that great mockumentary about that it's world. Fantastic. It? That's exactly it. I just rewatched it a couple of weeks ago. It's for like the 15th time. It's very funny. So yeah. Tom Weisskopf. Tom, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Weisskopf has, uh, well, he's gone, he's gone heavy on Rory. He's gone heavy on yeah. Rory. This was mainly, this was kind of a, ostensibly an interview about Dustin Johnson. 
and how good Jotun yes. is with Golf Week. So Wisecough, as we know, 1973 Open winner, swing to die for. He's 78 these days. He uh, has just won the one major and two few er, PGA events to McElroy's 18. I look at Rory McElroy. I think golf is something just for Rory to do. I've said it for a while now. I don't think he'll win much more than four majors, maybe five. I just don't see that determination and the will to be the best. I think it's there in Dustin Johnson. I think he finally figured it out. And this could propel him now to win all four in one year. With McElroy, I don't see any frustration. Life is good, and it should be. He's a multi-multi-millionaire. He has a kid now. But I don't see the tie gratitude. It's like he's satisfied all the time. The guy is not a good putter. He can hit some good... He, or sorry, you didn't say that. He can hit some putts so offline with the wrong speed, dot, dot, dot. He's technically not a good putter, but one of the purest swings you'd ever want to watch play in the game. Technically, he's superior to Dustin Johnson, but Dustin has the confidence to do it every time. I know Rory works out, but I bet if you watch them work out, Rory would be a lot of laughs and some giggles. Dustin would be balls to the wall and forcing a little bit more of himself. And that's what he's done. There you go. Rory oh, responded, Tom. I've never met Tom Weisskopf in my life. <laughs> uh, he's never met me. So obviously he's making a statement based on what he sees from the outside. But I don't think it's a fair assessment. I've shown throughout my career that I care, that I want to win, that I want to be the best. And I've been the best. It's not as if I'm out there in the clouds and not thinking about it. I try my heart out every single shot, every single tournament I play. I maybe deal with disappointment better than I used to. I saw the interview where he said he sees no frustration. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Look at the Zozo. I'm breaking clubs, so there's a bit of frustration there. Obviously, he didn't watch that round of golf. That was Rory's response. There we go. Should Rory have responded at all? Yeah, that's... I guess that's the first question. So Tom Weisskopf, all right, hasn't had the career of Rory McIlroy, a great underachiever himself. Not that McIlroy is a great underachiever, but is entitled to his opinion, like everybody is. Rory doesn't need to listen to it, though. He should be self... And I know he's asked about it, and it's not in his nature, and that's maybe the issue, that it's not in Rory's nature when he's asked by the magazine, what do you make of these comments to go? To be honest, I, I have no, nothing to say on it. I don't care. I'm not getting involved in it. I'm just moving who? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And on we go. His first line was perfect. I've never met him. I don't know him. End of. That's what he should have left it at. But then trying to defend yourself is is nearly saying that Tom Weisskopf is right to a point. The, did he not see me smashing my clubs all over the place? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a so. bit of a weird one. I mean... Yeah. With like Weisskopf focusing on Dustin Johnson, there's two things I think. One is is that he's echoing what you know. He's not the only person who thinks that Rory has a focus issue. You know that maybe Rory isn't as. I mean, to, like to say, oh, I don't see the tiger attitude. I don't even know what the hell that means. It's like, like Rory has made no secret of the fact that he doesn't want to be Tiger Woods. You know, he doesn't want to be that guy, like to sacrifice everything, every single thing on the altar of, of accomplishment or whatever it is. But then, so, you know, yeah, look, he's echoing kind of criticisms that are thrown around Rory by, frankly, by lots of people who've never met him either. But like, 
But the idea of picking on Dustin Johnson as being like the, the, the exemplar of the perfect golfer, it's just like recency bias, anybody? You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, like a year and a half ago, Rory was winning all around him. And, you know, yes, he, he's, he hasn't won a major, but he still, he was dominating the game. This year, it's Dustin, it's like Tom Weisskopf got a brand new toy and it's the only toy he can see. He's like, oh, look, my bright, shiny object is Dustin Johnson. And Brooks Kepka, like... Ask him this a year ago, he would have gone, see, look at Brooks Kepka. There's a guy who, you know, is so singly, he's so focused on winning majors. Like, why isn't Rory more like Brooks Kepka? You know, um, yeah. Like, but I agree. I agree with Peter. Like, Rory should have just stuck to that first one. Like, who, what? No, I've never met him. He's never met me. See ya. Thanks. Well, it's rare to think of other golfers. Uh, uh, maybe, again, it's because we focus so much on Rory. I'm trying to think of other golfers who've had spats with pundits. And so now we have this. We had the Steve Elkington situation a few years ago. We had the Irish Open with Jay Townsend. That criticism is relayed back, and Rory obviously hears this and does generally react. I, I can't think of too many other golfers who, when they hear what somebody has said about them, respond. Yeah, Brooks and Chambly was one. But that's yeah, becoming I was true, true, yeah. almost yeah. good-natured at this stage in a way. It's like yeah. playful ribbing. But I mean, it's it's got like it is a pointed criticism. I don't look to say he's not a good putter. He can hit some putts so offline with the wrong speed. He's technically not a good putter. Like for one, admittedly retired pro, but a pro who obviously knows the game to say this in an interview with Golf Weekly or Golf Week rather about another pro, like that's oh. is that not his job though? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying it's not his job, but I'm saying it's like, that's, that's a stinging criticism. It is very stinging. I think it's, um, none of what he said, you would have to say, is a billion miles away from stuff that's been said even on this podcast. It's just he said it so bluntly. Yeah. And he's Tom Weiskopf. You know, he's kind of yeah. a legendary figure. I was surprised he'd only won one major, actually. I just uh, yeah. had assumed he'd won another along the way. See, he hasn't met Rory also like that actually gives him a freedom to say whatever the hell he wants and he's, he's 78 years he's 78 years old he doesn't care it's like what he thinks and what else he can't he go down say? that line like what is the alternative what do you think of rory mcelroy <clears throat> like, i can't imagine many former golfers are right they might pick their words better but many <clears throat> pundits right now are going to go that guy is still the best player in the world clearly in the, i know he's not winning majors but he's still comfortably far ahead of everybody else you know it's putting it might look sometimes like he's missing somebody's a great putter Really, he's a great putter. You just don't see it. And his attitude, I think his attitude's spot on. But listen, he's just been unlucky. Pundits aren't going to say that. That is no. not their job to say that. And I, Rory does need probably to just find a way of, I know when the Elkington thing happened, he, I think that's when he went off social media. And it is difficult when you're in, in an interview. People are looking to get a reaction from Rory because generally he gives it and it yeah. gives us something to talk about. But somehow he needs to find a way of, of giving that answer of who or yeah, I heard it. I don't care. And mm. just move on. Mm. Personally, I thought, oh, good. This is just what Rory needs. <laughs> he is going to be peeved at this. I guarantee you he's talking to people around him saying, who the is Tom in Weiskopf? What the hell is this shit? And I'm delighted. He's going to practice with an extra bit of fury now, I would think, over the next couple of months. Peter Laurie shaking your head. No, you don't think so? 
I don't think so. I think he just he he he's, he said what he said now, and then that's the end of it. Maybe. I really don't think he's going to worry too much about it. No, I agree. Um, yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, uh, but but he will know that what Weisskopf is saying is what the golfing world at large is thinking to some degree or other. Maybe not as bluntly and you know as as almost cruelly as that. But like, what? it's it's some fairly forceful uh, words to McElroy about his game that you know he's now heard, and he can't just forget them. Like, put it this way: remember, even in the Kimmage article, which I always to refer back to but um uh, rory's people let him know what brooks kepka had said in the text about you know destroying mcelroy why would they let him know that because they know he on some level they know he responds to that kind of criticism mm. so i think weiskopf coming out rory having to defend himself rory will know deep down he, the best way to defend himself is to take off the handbrake now and kick on so i kind of thought this is no harm whatsoever Obviously, we won't know until January, February time. I, I mean, <laughs> where I would take issue with Weisskopf's blunt assessments is that this whole thing of like, um, um, I think about Dustin Johnson, he finally figured out, it out and this could propel him to win all four in one year. I'm like, all right, take it easy, Tom. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Tom's only watched doing? the Masters in the last year. Yeah, it's yeah. like, what are Those, you on about? Exactly. Those days it's are gone a, when, you, when you, you can even dream of winning all four in a row. There's too many good players out there now. It's too and, tight. Yeah. And only one player ever has won all four in a row. I mean, not in the same calendar year, and it's never been yeah. done except for by Tiger Woods. And, you know, so it's, a, it's kind of a weirdly... Like if you're if you're going to take aim at a fellow professional, and you're try, you know, at least have the respect to make your criticism as kind of on point as possible without exaggeration, yeah. you know. Because so to, so then to throw in some kind of there's a I'm a 78 year old man is just like I think you could win the next 15 majors, you know. And you're like, what are you on about, man? Come on. <laughs> Also, I think Rory's putting has improved massively. It has improved, but it's still not. There is a there is a, a difference between the unbelievable swing that he has and his ability to really kind of keep it on a string, and the quality of his putting. It's they are not one. You know, there his putting does not match his his iron play when he's playing at his best. And that's that's like you know, but that's mm. hardly that's hardly a secret. Yeah. So a few other things going on. Um, I remember at the Irish Open, and it was in the press area, and uh, Paul Casey had finished his media, and he was making his way out, and somebody of the European Tour, I don't know who they were, didn't recognize him, but they stopped him, and they said, listen, by the way, on Saudi Arabia, fair play, I really respected that. And Paul said, thanks very much, man, appreciate it. So in the uh, in the independent then it, cool, cool story Joe. <laughs> cool story. Do you want to remind us what he said about Saudi Arabia? Yeah. Well it's just so this is like this was I'm I'm telling the story to like make a point like this is a talking point on tour that he took this stance. You know what I mean? Mm. It's it's this was recognized on the tour that he had done this and he was aware that his stance was appreciated by lots of people. That was kind of the point of the story. I maybe should have given it that context. Or explain again, what was the stance that he took? Oh, well, I think everyone knows. So, uh, well, he's explained it himself, even in The Independent over in London. He said on his decision to, to pull out of the Saudi Arabia tournament and not go, he said, going just didn't sit well with me. I haven't talked about it too much, and I'm not sure I want to, but certainly signing a deal and being paid to be down there, I would be a hypocrite if I did that. 
is what he said. Mm. And now it turns out he is going to Saudi Arabia in 2021, um, despite saying he'd be a hypocrite if he received appearance money to play in the event. So there we are. It's, I, I a, it's rest, a hell of a turnaround. I rest my case. <laughs> what was your sorry? What was your what was your case, Rudy oh, Giuliani? I, I, you can't just yeah, claim that I, you're being right without even stating no, your no, case. I, <laughs> yeah. did, did, did I not have a case about Paul Casey before? No. Did you not? I did mean, you? Yeah, I think I had a little bit of a. Oh, I um, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was your case again? You're just not an avid listener to this Golf Weekly show at all. You know, <laughs> I listen to what I say. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's um, Paul is a bit different, all right. So uh, oh. let's just let's just leave it at that. So you don't. Other, you... Otherwise, I'll hear you know these knocking noises going. What are you saying next? So you're saying, Peter, is that you don't necessarily respect the depth of his thought about a serious subject like Saudi Arabia. Not in the slightest. No. no. Right. Yeah. Well, well, you look, you're allowed to have that opinion you've met. Absolutely. Him, you know. exactly. Well, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, um, you know, won't go to Saudi Arabia or hasn't made a pointed statement mm-hmm. at the time to say he's not going either now. He doesn't need it, but Rory, Saudi Arabia, Rory, Rory, to his credit, talked about a moral aspect to it and pulled out, you know, I think that's worth yeah. stating. So look, I mean, look, uh, who's, uh, Shane Larry is going, Phil Mickelson is going, Patrick Reed is going, Greg McDowell has won there, Dustin Johnson's going, the list goes on, Bryson DeChambeau. Mm. Um, I guess, you know, your strategy on this is to bury your head in the sand and to say sport and politics don't matter and, you know, mumble something about spreading the game and your duty to the game. And, uh, you know, even some of the more naive ones are about, well, I need to go and see for myself what it's like there. All the kind of, <laughs> all the kind of uh, go-to, the go-to, the go-to lines on all of this. Uh, that's what you do and you take the heat for a week or two and then it disappears and nobody Correct. remembers who was there. So that's, that's the policy and... That's nothing to be celebrated, I think we would say. But geez, if you're Paul Casey and you go out in a limb, you really can't do the turnaround thing and it, it, you know expect people not to raise their eyebrows in a massive way. I mean, yeah, that's that, that Nathan is uh, PR one hundred and one. I would think. I just don't understand it. Yeah. Like, was it? I, I, I'm loath to speculate. <laughs> was there a? Paul, oh, we really, really, really want you to come now. <laughs> and actually, how can you come out and 16 months on, a year on, have a totally different opinion? Unless it's a Ryder Cup thing, unless uh, COVID has changed uh, Ryder, Cup, Ryder Cup points to the, to, to the extent that it's now more important from a Ryder Cup point of view. Pick another tournament. Yeah. So uh, let, let, let's have a look at the tournament, right, itself. Um, prize fund is, any ideas? No. Have, have they announced that? No, I'd say the prize fund's about a million and a half, two million dollars. Okay. Crap prize fund, um, lots of appearance fees. And the appearance fees will be absolutely ginormous. Um, and, and that's what it is. So everybody who are, sorry, all the top players who go there, there'll be a list of probably 25, 20 maybe. Um, and it'll all go down to, you know, the top guy being Dustin Johnson. Um, he'll get the most and then it'll go down in a pro rata basis after that yeah. so Paul Casey would be in the 15 to 20 possibly you know guys to go there um, but it, it'll be still well worth his while to go there play um, and take away his you know wheelbarrow of cash yeah it is mad though like those quotes they're so to the point and uh, like, like a staunch, you know, it doesn't sit well with me. 
I haven't talked too much about it. I'm not sure I want to, but certainly signing a deal, being paid to be down there, I'd be a hypocrite if I did that. Like, it's just, oh my God. Yeah. Like, like, we don't need to say anything. You just don't need to say anything. Joe, praise him, Joe. He is, he's now willing to learn. Whereas a year ago, he wasn't willing to learn. He had Only somehow a- just discovered this was a terrible thing to do without <laughs> actually thinking about it. Whereas now having read up, and he's even more willing to learn. I think the most cynical thing that's said about... Um, trying to justify participation in an event down there is to say, well, you know, I got to go and see it for myself. It's like, <laughs> believe me, they're not letting you into a prison where they yeah. execute women for doing stuff that like we just take for granted. Um, the, no. I mean, but when you consider like, do you think that the, uh, the two, the t- uh, the winners of La Liga and the Spanish and the Copa del Rey, do you think they were particularly troubled that the Spanish super cup was held in Saudi Arabia or, or the, the formula one grand prix that's in Saudi Arabia or, you know, horse Slightly racing? different things because it's an incredibly difficult scenario for a footballer to turn around to his team and say, yeah. I'm not going to go. Yeah. The one thing no, but the point, always sorry. point out is that they are sole operators. They pick and choose where they want to play, particularly the level of player we're talking about, because they're going for the appearance yeah. money because they're of a level of fame. So I think for team sports, it's the people at the top who are making those decisions, knowing it doesn't reflect on them because it's the players on the pitch who will get the criticism. You're absolutely right. And what I meant by that is, is that it's all of these events, part of the sports washing, that eases the road for self-employed professional golfers to go, hang on a second. Like Saudi Arabia is hosting a rich calendar of international sporting events this year. Like, you know, come on. Mm. You know, so it just makes it all that easier for them to kind of rationalize it to themselves that it's okay to go. Do you think sports washing works? Yes, Absolutely. Because funny, I'm more aware in, in details now of the human rights records of some of these countries than I would have been otherwise. Um, I think you have to be in that your job is to cover this. So therefore you find yourself trying to find out more of the facts. Yeah. Whereas most of, I would imagine an awful lot of people who don't think too deeply about it are looking at the weekend and going, well, there's a Formula One race in Bahrain or there's a Formula One race in Saudi Arabia, and it's the exact same as next week when the Formula One race will be in Monza. That's exactly they right. Just go around the world. No different. Yeah. That's a, and and so in a sense, is what what the importance of it is. It's not even so much that it's going to force. I mean, clearly, it's not going to force a regime change or an attitudinal change or a fundamental shift in attitudes in Saudi Arabia. But what the purpose of it is to normalize, so that all of a sudden, remember, was it um, what's the name of the was it Anthony Joshua ahead of the Anthony Joshua fight? Like you guys must have done, even just on off the ball, you must have done two or three kind of in-depth focus pieces on, on the where's and what for's of hosting an event in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. The announcement that the Spanish Super Cup is being played there or that Formula One is now there doesn't prompt the same level of, of questioning. It's just, it just becomes more and more normal. And that's precisely the point of sports washing. Yeah. I guess the other um, point as well, though, is if you start with Saudi Arabia, and that seems like a very extreme case because it was a new event on the tour. So it wasn't like, oh, well, there's a great tradition here of me going to this event. It was a new event. And it was at the time of the murder of a journalist. And it was very much, you know, front and center on the human rights uh, spectrum. So that's one extreme. I mean, you could, if you were a golfer, turn around and say, well, like, where do you want to stop? right up to and including the United States of America in terms of countries who aren't perfect. 
like North where am I? Korean Invitational, starring <laughs> Phil Mickelson. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I can go yeah. and play my golf in Switzerland and a couple of other countries. But like, you know, first in line here for who's completely innocent, again, starting with the United States. That, well, as a, a golfer, point. you you could make that argument. You know, where where's the acceptable line? Now, I'm, I don't fully believe that because I would start with things like democracy and, you know, Amnesty International not like pointing to horrific human rights abuses. Uh, but it is, a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a debatable-ish point if one I you don't could, quite you, I mean, you're absolutely, but that is actually, that is a good point. Like say, for example, Erdogan in Turkey, okay? Amnesty produced report after report about the whittling way of democratic norms. Um, this is a guy who imprisons political opponents, not even, not for criminal reasons, just because they are opponents. He disenfranchises political parties. Um, he arrests newspaper journalists who publish editorials that run counter to the, 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 the opinions of the government. And yet, you know, Turkey, the Turkish Open continues. Nobody says a thing, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> these, are, these are worrying times. And, um, you know, and uh, so, yeah, so I think your actual point is, very, is really valid. <laughs> well, I think Amnesty International this year talked about the treatment of African-Americans as a human rights concern, you know? Oh, yeah. So, like, but we wouldn't dream of expecting a player to say, I'm no longer playing in the States on account of the treatment of African-Americans. Because ultimately, and, and it's a throwaway, uh, hackneyed phrase, but money talks and bullshit walks. So, you know. Here's a question. Would we treat them better or, or I suppose, think of them better if they were offered no money as appearance money but and then, they actually played? Yes, I, th I, think, I yeah. think we would. Yeah, I think we would. Like, I would have no issue with the 50, 60 golfers who are going there to play who are battling for their livelihoods and Same. by not going may end up losing their card hmm. the players and listen they may claim this is completely unfair that it's double standards but these players are going simply because they're getting a million or two million quid as you said the prize money isn't huge the ranking points may be decent because so many of them are going to be there but they're going because it's an easy book yeah hmm. and they would not have well thought out answers if you specifically asked them about some of the specifics of saudi arabian human rights uh, record you know, if you were to say, they do this, 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 and this, what's your, what's your feeling on that? And you're standing there with a flag, thumbs up, smiles. Can you imagine the quality of answer you get back? <laughs> it, is it is naturally uh, different, though. It is, I like sorry, it sandwiches. <laughs> I know you're comparing that, which could, is, might well be the answer for a lot of them, Joe, of the, well, you know, we go to China or we go to this country China, or this country. Yeah, yeah. But Abu Dhabi. Straight away, you understand that, well, there's, and maybe it's a wrong acceptance that when tournaments and events happen in China, people don't ask the same level of questions. And maybe that, I don't know, is that sport washing having worked there that somehow we've all moved on? I'm not sure, but surely as a professional golfer, if suddenly there's this massive outcry to this one country that you're going to, you go, hold on a sec, what's, what's the issue here? Why, why is this different? And then you're told and you say, oh, all right. Like, they well, cannot be just rocking up there with no. zero knowledge that there's controversy. Well, I remember last year, Ian Poulter's kind of excuse was, look, well, I don't know what's going on. You know, little old me, basically. That was mm. kind of the gist of it. I don't have it word for word, but I remember him saying, look, I'm, I'm a golfer. I don't know what's going on in this country. And you're kind of thinking, like, honestly, five minutes on Google will get you there. Ah, yeah. But, um, and Peter, you can, you can testify to this. I remember talk, years ago talking to Stephen Brown 
and a couple of other Irish pros, and they were talking about their experiences of going around Europe and beyond into North Africa for challenge tour events. And I think they were talking about one time they all went to Moscow to play in some yeah. open over there. And I, and as a travel writer, I was like, Oh my God, what an amazing opportunity. Like, you know, like, and they were like, are you joking me? We arrive, we stay in some airport in some hotel that's near, near the golf course. We go to the practice facilities, we play, and then we leave. Like we eat at the hotel. We like, you're never really given a chance to actually just, yeah, let's go into town for the night and just have a wander around and see what it's all like. So it's all kind of in this hermetic world that excludes everything else. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, mm. airport, hotel, golf course, back to the hotel, airport, out of there. Um, the only time you see anything is when you travel from hotel to the golf course um, and you're looking at the window of a, uh, in, your, in the car. And, and, you know, you get a glimpse of what life is like in these countries. But it's only a fleeting glimpse. Like I played uh, in, I think it was 90, 1998, I played in the Moscow Open. Um, I was with ISM at the time, um, which was Chubby Chandler's management company. He had organized for a group of his young players to go play in this thing. Um, and it was just incredible. It was just, you know, and that was in 1998. So, um, what, what was incredible? Sorry. It, 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 just uh, the poverty. Um, but again, I, I only got a glimpse of it because right. you're traveling. Um, and then when we went back there, I went back there a good few times after that. And, you know, slowly but surely the country has moved on. Um, I remember playing on the Asian tour in, in Burma. It was called Burma then, now it's Myanmar. Um, and you'd travel from hotel to golf course and back again. And there was these red signs all over the place. Um, and I asked one guy, what, what's on these signs? And it's like, reject foreign influence, reject foreigners. Um, if you were a foreigner and you were out by yourself, you didn't nearly get arrested. Um, purely military rule country. Um, I remember having a caddy. We weren't allowed to tip the caddies. Uh, we had to pay, I think it was $20 uh, for the caddy uh, at reception. Um, and the caddy got like 50 cent um, out of the $20. Wow. So it's just, that's the way life was. And now hopefully it's improved then, but as a young and up-and-coming pro, you played wherever you got the opportunity, like Nathan said. Mm. But if somebody pitched up on one of these countries and was getting paid a couple of million while the caddy's getting 50 cents, um, you know, it's pretty unfair, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, there's it's lots of, it's shocking, yeah. Once you, once you leave the first world, once you leave the first world, the, the economic inequalities that are kind of starkly apparent Fact is, is that like, you know, and I say this as a travel writer who has written a lot about um, countries in Southeast Asia where, I mean, there are inequalities that are so absolutely jarring to the eye. But, you know, it's like, go to the Maldives, go to the Seychelles, go to these paradise islands. You know, if you actually dig a little deeper, you find, well, the reason why these five-star hotels are so attractive to us Western visitors is it because staff are paid tuppence halfpenny. They live in conditions that, you know, would really 
leave your mouth open. So, you know, that's the nature of the world. Once you step out of the first world, it's a desperately unequal world. It's kind of hard to segue off that, but... Here we go. Here, Here we, we go, go anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Colin Byrne and Rafa Cabrera Bayo doesn't seem as important, but um, they parted ways. They had four good years together. They won the Scottish Open. Uh, Colin Byrne obviously has worked with everyone from Retief Goosen to Ernie Els, Alex Noren, Tom Lewis, Eduardo Molinari, Darren Clark. Uh, so Byrne was talking to Philip Reed in the Irish Times. He said, if something is stale, it is stale. It's not like a lot of jobs where you can hide amongst other people. It's so direct with a caddy player relationship. If it's not firing, then it's very hard to cover it. And so they have decided to part ways. Cabrera Bayo is in Mexico for the PGA Tour event this week, the um, Mayakoba Classic, and Byrne is back in Dublin. These days, Peter, I was just wondering on the caddy front, has it advanced from a human resources point of view any which way? Is it like back in the day, they have a fight on the course and player says to caddy, you're fired, and caddy has no income from that moment on. Uh, these days, are there any contracts signed whereby, look, I'm guaranteed some kind of base for this season up until the end of the season, whether you fire me or not? Are there any safety nets for caddies? No, no, nothing like that. Nothing, there's, nothing. There's, I, I've never heard of a contract between player caddies. Um, maybe in the upper echelons, whether it's Tiger, Rory, somebody like that, whether there's a certain base, you know, if they're not playing, they get paid. Um, but very rarely you'd see it's literally it, a gentleman's agreement at best. Mm. Um, Given the money's, the, the money's involved now, that's still quite tough on the caddies, I would think. That's not like your job security is zilch. Mm. It's zilch, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Colin Byrne is um, very, very well respected caddy. Um, and he, he's kind of semi, he has semi retired a few times. Um, you know, and be happy to be, you know, back at home. Um, he's a member of Royal Dublin, lives out in uh, the Hoth area. Um, but really nice guy. He'll pick up a bag, no problem, if if he so wishes. Hmm. He's I'd also... love to see him with... Sorry, I'd love to see him with one of the new Irish guys coming up, um, you know, and help them along the way. His experience and they uh, would be... Um, you couldn't buy it, you know. I was also going to say is that Colin is, I won't say one of those rare caddies, but he's one of those caddies that has also managed to um, have something of a little media career with his weekly column that he had for a long time. Um, I mean, I also know some caddies who are like, you know, they put a little bit of money aside when they were with a player that was earning a bit and the best thing they could do is either stick in a pension pot, make sure that their house is paid for, whatever. But yeah, they live week to week, you know, and 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 one of the interesting things is talking to them is that they all operate on the basis of is like, you know, I could get fired anytime and I know this. So that's the life that we choose and that's the life that we live. It suggests a kind of a throwback to like golf the way it was before the kind of slick professionalism of uh, Mark McCormick. It's kind of, isn't it, Peter, like a bit like that the, caddy sh- that the caddy shack is actually a very different place to the player's locker room, that they have like an entirely um, it, different way of seeing the world. Yeah. I, when I initially went out on tour, what, 2003, there, there thereabouts, um, the caddy shack was, it, it, it was a guy who used to bring around a caravan 
um, and have a, a, a van on the back of us, like a chip van. But he served sandwiches and everything and, and all the crack was around. That's where all the, uh, you know, good vibes were. Um, up in the players' lounge, it was pretty snotty and, you know, everybody was within themselves. So if you wanted to have a bit of a chat and a bit of a crack, that's where you went to. Um, but uh, caddy lounges have, have come on dramatically where caddy and player are, are pretty much very little difference between the two um, in relation to right. being looked after, um, which is great. Um, and the caddy union, um, well, their, their, their association, let's put it that way, have fought tremendously well um, for proper rights and you know facilities and whatever else which is only right mm. um but you you still get um players and certain um maybe managers that would be very much um get over there you know what i mean you're not part of this this is our world and you live in that world over there mm. Mm. um well, there we go. Before we um, sign off, so the European Tour and the PGA Tour Alliance, as it's been called, the PGA Tour have taken a minority stake in the European Tour. Nathan Murphy, don't call it a takeover. <laughs> <laughs> this is just one friend helping another friend, giving what? them, in these tough times, a little bit of a bailout. Don't what worry about the, it, guys. What, what, is, what is this? Like, genuinely, I'm, I, I've just, I haven't read that much into it. So what, what has happened here? What is this? A uh, strategic alliance, Joe, is what this is, where <laughs> the PJ Tour have taken a minority stake in European Tour Productions, where Jay Monaghan is going to have a place on the board. And I guess conversations will start from here. But it is not, and I repeat, Joe, not a takeover. So is it European Tour Productions is different to the European Tour then? Is this? No. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the media it company. Different. So it's just it's yeah. just the media company. No, taken, no it's um, not just that. The, so that, that was interesting. So, Joe, you actually illustrate the kind of the, 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 the arched eyebrows over this statement. One, that it was dropped on Black Friday. So it was kind of like, hmm. I mean, this is a big announcement or, or should be a big announcement. And, and it, it was kind of lost in, in the mix a bit. But if you, if you read, if you dig deeper into it, so the, the lead is, is um, yes, that it's acquired this minority investment stake in European tour productions, which is a, you know, money losing. So it's kind of like, okay, fine. So they, they're going to help boost it a little bit. But then you look down, the tours will also work in partnership on a number of other areas, including global scheduling, prize funds, and playing opportunities for the respective memberships. Further details of these areas will be announced in due course, which is that's kind of a big deal. And, and Keith Belly, chief executive of the European Tour, certainly didn't hide his enthusiasm. This partnership is a historic moment for the game of golf and is a fantastic opportunity for both the European Tour and the PGA Tour to explore ways to come together at the very pinnacle of our sport and work in unison for the benefit of the men's professional game. Jay Monaghan echoed the excitement. We are thrilled to announce this further strengthening of our partnership with the European Tour and we look forward to working together for the benefit of the men's professional game and for golf fans around the world. So you're thinking, okay, this is all sounds like really positive. Um, and as Nathan mentioned, so Jay Monaghan is going to take a seat on the board of the European Tour, which you're thinking, hmm, all right. But when you think about it, a board seat is a big deal because it means that Jay Monaghan, as the 
chief executive of the PGA Tour, can get a close look at all of the European Tour financials, including the Ryder Cup. Uh, and from the player's perspective, um, it's, you know, you're thinking it's like, hang on a second. Well, why wasn't the reverse afforded and Keith Pelly given a similar seat on the PGA Tour policy board? But that didn't happen. So it's, you know, I, I mean, I think that's a key point is, is that like they're going to take a look at the financials, you know, that the UPGA will know everything about the European Tour financials, but the opposite isn't true. So, um, yeah, so, and, and, and obviously yeah. under, sorry. Uh, I don't think there's a lot to be looked at in, in, in relation to the financials of the European Tour because we can all see that they are very, very close to their knees. Uh, it's a bit like that new drop um, that they have now. So rather than shoulder height, it's knee height. Um, what I would say to, to everybody is that that um, production company, European Tour Productions, is, is co-owned between um, IMG, which was the old Mark McCormick management group, yeah. and the European Tour. Um, so it's not a sole ownership from the European tour stance point of view. So getting a percentage of that is, is probably just to be involved with um, for the golf channel and to be, have some involvement with the European tour being shown on um, the golf channel or, or their media package back in America. Um, European tour is very popular in the TV in America because it's, it's on at the right time of the day, uh, it's on when people are having their breakfast in the morning um, and they can actually watch a little bit of live golf. Um, so what, just, do you, what, what do you see this as? What's happened here? Um, it's, it's, it's very peculiar, to be, to, be, to be totally honest with you, especially the, the tour, the European tour had um, initially said that they were in talks with this new, um, new group um, that Phil Mickelson um, was um, playing with the um, the main guys of it in Saudi. Mm. It was meant to be Saudi money, but it actually wasn't. It was a it was a a, a very big um, fund in the states that was having a look into you know professional golf, um, and they were trying to attract the European Tour. Now if they'd got the European Tour. It, it was very, very it would have been very very beneficial for them to then to try and attract American players into it. Um, going back to one thing you said about the European Tour working closely with the uh, American Tour, um, the European Tour have always struggled in relation to scheduling. Scheduling has been the biggest problem of the European Tour has because of what America are doing and what tournaments America are putting on at different times. Um, there was a major bust up over the WGC event. Remember the European tour didn't sanction it a couple of years ago, mm. purely because it was going to clash with um, one of our major events. French um, Open. French Open, that's right, yeah. Who were sponsoring, Alsom were giving in four and a half million was the prize fund, um, I think at the time um, and then that's Alstom went out of it completely they were they were fed up with it and the French Open nearly died mm. um, so to me it, it, I, I, I certainly wouldn't be singing the praises of it 
Um, and the reason I said the European Tour is more close to its knees, recently I read and everybody else read um, that they recently let, let go 68 people. Um, mm. Now, they're not a huge, a huge organization either. They're, they're not. Um, and they call it the family. You always hear the likes of Thomas Bjorn saying, oh, we're a family. And we're, we're no more a family than the man in the moon, um, in, in, in my viewpoint of it. So um, I, I, visually, I certainly wouldn't be having the trumpets out and blazing that this is, this is a great deal for the European Tour. I mean, I'm a little bit confused as well to echo, some, to follow on from what something Peter was saying is, is that, so Keith Pelly staunchly defended the new agreement and said it had nothing to do with the European Tour's financial challenge. And I'll read you the quote. If this was a financial situation, we would have done far more than a strategic alliance with a minority investment. I can tell you we are categorically not in financial difficulties. We are in robust financial health with a very strong balance sheet, strongest ever, and a strong support of networks of partners. We have played 23 events since July in Q3 and Q4, creating 15 from scratch, showing incredible resilience and flexibility. Uh, let me be perfectly clear, he goes on to say, we do not have to enter into this agreement or any other. We chose to because it is in the best interest of both tours for our players, for our golf fans, and for global professional golf. Now, where my confusion arises is, is that, let's go back to April, and Keith Pelly, uh, he sent two memos to the European tour pros and in it he wrote I don't admitting I don't mind admitting to you this has been the most challenging time in my 35 years working in professional sport um, and that they were simply not in a financial position to follow the lead of the PGA tour and offer assistance to the pros during the lockdown um, the stark reality is redundancies may be unavoidable further down the line and prize funds will most likely be different this is difficult for all of us to face after the tireless work we have all undertaken over the last five years. So the question is, if the tour wasn't in financial difficulties, then why the layoffs that Peter spoke about? Or is it that this renewed sense of optimism that Keith Pelly has in the financials of the European tour in part to do with the fact that they've made these 68 layoffs and so don't have 68 salaries on their books? And I think these are legitimate questions. Keith Pelly can't say much else because it's obviously a business transaction. And if eventually the PGA Tour are going to come on board and take over the European Tour, the European Tour need to make sure they get the best possible value. The European Tour, Peter, must be in an incredibly unusual situation in that the European Tour is owned by the members, right? Yes. The players. But you have a scenario where probably the best 30, 40 players don't particularly want to be members of the European tour and they are the most influential voices. So looking at this over the last week, the most likely scenario long-term, I, I don't know on the business side as to whether the PGA tour take it over, but the benefit to the European tour is, well, for the PGA tour, firstly, they don't have a hostile takeover or try and expand into Europe that the setup is already there through the European tour that they can actually set up a situation where the best European players don't have to go to America and therefore have a very vibrant European tour built around sort of that Rolex series type event where the European tour players, the likes of a Shane Lowry, won't be going up against an event in America where he loses out on FedEx Cup points because the European tour can feed into the FedEx Cup. It can feed into places on the tour championship. Is that not all a likely scenario that actually 
they can say these seven, eight events across the calendar, albeit they may go up against the PGA Tour event, they will count for FedEx Cup points. They will be a huge prize fund there as well. So you don't need to come to America. You can spend your summer in Europe if you want. And therefore, those tournaments suddenly become successful again because the Irish Open has Shane Lowry, maybe Rory McIlroy, all the best European players there every single year. I, I personally think the European Tour will become, a, 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 and what it is already, is a feeder tour to mm. the American Tour. It certainly won't have American Tour uh, status. Um, no, no chance. Like, if you look what the American Tour have done uh, around the world, so they, they've taken over. Remember, the European Tour used to have two tournaments, and they had two Challenge Tour tournaments in South America. Mm. Uh, prior to the American tour taking over the uh, tour, the Latin America, isn't it? Is that what it's called? They also um, went to Australia um, and they had two, uh, used to be called web.com tours in Australia, um, which was kind of against, because European tour was in Australia at the time and always had been. Um, They went to Japan and they've also gone to um, Korea and China. So they really tried to close in all the um, avenues for the European tour to expand while America have been expanding. I, I, I have no issue at all with Keith Pelly putting as positive a spin on this. You know, what else is he meant to do? Of course, he's meant to sell this as like a really, really good thing for the European tour. Um, and also as well as it works for Jay Monaghan and the PGA because, I mean, I know we, we're not talking about the Premier Golf League. I mean, Nathan, you mentioned it. Um, um, but like that has to be kind of lurking somewhere, you know, as a potential threat to the hegemony of the PGA Tour as the Premier Golf Tour in the world. Um, and so a strategic alliance between the PGA Tour and the European Tour, even if, as Peter says, it eventually will be a case where the European Tour just becomes the PGA's feeder tour, if it isn't that already in all but name, um, is a way of staving off the threat of the Premier Golf League because, you know, there's some serious Saudi money in behind these guys. And, you know, I mean, I know we haven't talked about it for a good old while, but um, when we did talk about it at the time, the the people involved or certainly the investment involved made no secret of the fact that they were in for the long haul. And even if they didn't get a quick return of their investment straight away, that they were, they were willing to wait it out and, and, you know, maybe turn it into something like a three to five year plan. So the PGA tour, Jay Monaghan, Keith Pelly all have to be aware of that. And so ultimately this, this allegiance or this allegiance or whatever it is, this alliance between them has multiple purposes one of which is to stave off the premier golf league yeah okay uh in carter's piece by the way said that the european tour showed a seven million increase in revenue to the end of 2019 obviously all bets are off for 2020 i know but they had cash reserves of 25 million at the start of this year now i suspect they've been eaten into considerably interestingly as well he said the Ryder cup balance is at 17 million sterling. That increased by 10 million pounds, he said, following the announcement of a Dare Manor in Ireland as the venue for 2027. So I wonder, is that what it takes, 10 million to get their Ryder Cup? That was how I read it. Ryder Cup balance has increased by more than uh, 10 million pounds. 
It has to be way more than that. Maybe way it's an, maybe it's hello money, an initial ten million to show intent. <laughs> Correct. <That is. laughs> it was over, hello money. It, yeah, it, yeah, that's pretty. It good. was over a hundred million the last time. Say what? A um, hundred million. hundred million. Yeah. You have to hand but over the entire revenue. Was surely a dare no, manner. Ten million the, is enough for a dare manner to. Hand I'm talking over. about what a dare manner would have had to hand over. The project of for you there thereabouts, um, which included um, putting money into different tournaments. Um, Italy, let's put it this way, paid over a hundred million um, to get what they wanted. But to whom? Who did they pay this money to? Um, the hundred million was, uh, as far as I know, and again, this is speculation, so I, I, I can't be, you know, it's not like you. It's not like me, um, but at least it's not slander, Joe. So we're okay there. Mm. Um, um, uh, Italy, they they were supposedly putting in, um, uh, I think, an eight-year run of Italian Opens for X amount of money. So you add that up over the years, um, et cetera, et cetera. Golf course, sponsorship, whatever else. But it, it, it is very expensive. Right. It's not the your, Irish it's government not your are investing million. fifty million in yeah. bringing the Ryder Cup to Adair Manor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now that's yeah. around marketing, and I think they're putting yeah. in the bypass, aren't they, around Adair and all that sort of stuff? But well, that's the best news that you can bypass Adair because there's always traffic in Adair. Adair, I love you. I love you. Uh, I like stopping traffic. at Adair, Joe. Adair's what the tidy towns winner that's multiple beautiful. times. Beautiful. I don't know what you're saying, Joe. But Adair if, is the greatest place in yeah. this country. Yeah. But if you're in a, if you're in a rush, Joe, you're you're not invited back. You're not invited back, and to stay over, you're not staying over either. You can take the bypass home. Joe's just thinking they spent ten million to bring this. I should have had a more expensive bottle of wine when I was down there. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And Peter Lawrence telling me it's a hundred million, which is not. Remember when they offered us the steak knives? Which knife do you want? (laughs) <laughs> a sharp oh, one I don't know one that cuts anything oh, yeah. that one <laughs> god it was great Adair it was, was amazing it was so good did you stay over yeah, yeah. yes it was a great dinner uh, like oh, it was news to me it was, I, was that the time I wasn't invited yes it was the time <laughs> right. yeah uh, that, that was the time you're Sorry, right you, Peter they should invite us back again they should uh, oh my god I'd love to go back it was so good honest to god mm. it was yeah it really oh. is amazing. I mean, and, yeah. and also as the well, price, the price is not nothing for any of you out there. I, I strongly emphasize that. But if you're looking for bucket list stuff, it's... Oh, uh, okay. yeah. And nature conspired that day to give us the best tree possible because it was such a glorious day. The weather was perfect. It was, you know, blue skies and no wind. Oh. Oh. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I just feel really left out here, I have to admit. I'm, I was left Next out in the cold then. Next, yeah, time, next Peter, time, Peter. Definitely. Next time, Peter. Yeah, it was amazing. If you arrange it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just, I, I give Colin a ring. We'd be grand. Do. So look, we're going to, we'll, we'll try and keep the show on the road between now and Christmas. That is not many weeks. I think it's only two or three more shows. So mm. we'll tr- we might get Paul McGinley on for a review of the 2020 golfing year and we might stick in a little bit there for Shane Larry or something. And try and, maybe Colin Byrne we should talk to at some stage as well. Don't, don't tee them up. They'll, they'll, they'll find out and they'll make sure they don't answer. Okay. Paul's calendar exactly, suddenly yeah. got very busy. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And, well, and, and if Bo was listening, I was calling him about coming on here. You know, oh. Shane Larry's caddy. Or my ex-caddy. Do you think Bo does listen? No, no, never listened his nickname was or I, I nicknamed him Organized Chaos. 
So work that one out. Not, not the catchiest nickname ever, Peter. No, no. <laughs> Doesn't roll organized off chaos. the tongue. Hey, organized chaos. Yet still, yet organized still, you recommended chaos. them. Yet still, you recommended them. Does he thank Absolutely. you all the time? Yeah, well, he should do, shouldn't he? Sure, yeah, My yeah, Christmas yeah. present. My Christmas present should be huge this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We are done. We are done. We are done. So Fionn Davenport, Peter Laurie, Nathan Murphy, that's us done for the week. We will talk to you next week. Goodbye. 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 Golf Weekly on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station.